Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Tomorrow. Hello, happy Monday. Welcome to the Hill here on News Nation. The Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu making it clear. He says there will be no ceasefire. Calls for a ceasefire are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas, to surrender to terrorism to surrender to barbarism. That will not happen. This afternoon, we are also starting to learn how Americans view the war in the Middle East. Brand new, exclusive numbers from our partners at Decision Desk HQ reveal a rift between how younger Americans and their parents and grandparents view support for Israel. We'll dive into it. Plus, why the Biden administration is now asking schools all across the country to stock up on drug overdose medication. How did we get here? Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Bob Cusack, editor-in-chief at The Hill. Denise Gitsum is a former aide to President George W. Bush. Scott Bolden is the former D.C. Democratic Party chairman and a legal analyst. And Ford O'Connell, former Trump 2020 campaign surrogate. Thanks for being here. The Hill on News Nation starts now. But first, as we begin the show, did you see this from over the weekend? (laughs) That is the California governor, Gavin Newsom, uh, playing basketball, pickup basketball in China over the weekend. Of course, he was there for a week-long trip. Uh, spins the ball on the finger and then steamrolls a kid. Oh my god! In, 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 oh a, in a day, gosh. a week, a month, a year from now, like, this is this is this is all that's going to be remembered <laughs> from Newsom's trip, though, is it not? It's a political stop. I think it shows his common man touch. He did roll on the kid, but that happens in basketball. Oh, it happens. I'm and, not saying it doesn't happen. And he held the kid up. He didn't roll over him, if you will, and then gave him a pat on the back. I, I mean, come on. I mean, sometimes. My friends in the media, I just don't get it. That's why I'm a lawyer, Me? not in the media. <laughs> I'm just the media generally. Kind of, why that's know, he, wants, he tries to get before every single huh? camera. This is a big international trip, and I'm just saying you this is the only thing on that's going to be this is, a, this is a mess up. He looked terrible. First of all, I was trying to spin the, the ball on his finger. He looked terrible. The whole thing is a joke. And is there anybody trying harder to replace Joe Biden at the top of the ticket in 2024? No, he's a Biden senator. Absolutely. That's we a talking all know point that's what this trip's about. Not it. He's How many governors Biden. have gone to China and done that? Biden's going to be the next president, or he's running. He's, he's going to be the Democratic nominee. If they ever stop all arguing amongst themselves, I think <laughs> we could focus on the bigger issue, which mm-hmm. is 39% of Americans right now think of China as the greatest threat to our country. So who is he campaigning 
to earn the favor of is my question. Like, I feel like Newsom is so obsessed with being everybody's savior, but he's always doing it on the wrong issues. Uh, well, yeah. well, he loves press, so I mean, I'm <laughs> exactly. not saying he did this intentionally. <laughs> no, 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 no one no, said no, he did no, this no, intentionally. No. He ever stepped foot on a it's basketball a court, it happens. I mean, or a politician. It's like kissing a baby. Get yeah, but I mean, don't he you was, he give was him going hard to the basket to get somebody <laughs> half his size. And he shouldn't have been there in the first place. he chose to go there. It's interesting, I will say this on the Democratic side. He met with the president of China. He met with Xi Jinping, we're not talking about that. Biden did, which is really an interesting Well, he knows exactly who the Chinese overlords are. I think Denise is absolutely right. When it comes to the Chinese Communist Party, Democrats have been a little thick about the problems that they pose. No, they're tight, but they're thick about the issues that they are. They think the Chinese are their saviors on climate change. The Chinese are running the electric vehicles. Yeah. Are you kidding me? They own the entire distribution. And when it comes to fentanyl, mm-hmm. the biggest problem in this country, 90% comes out of China. And what are the Democrats doing? Open borders right. and allowing it in here to destroy America. We got to keep way, talking to China. Okay, we're interdependent with them. And if you have a Newsom is there, California is something like the seventh largest economy in the world. Yeah, he there. needs to be there. So all let's right. stop all the other so, discussions. So from the governor who <laughs> might one day want to be president, run for it, to questions surrounding the current commander-in-chief. As the war in Gaza continues, an exclusive new poll conducted for News Nation by Decision Desk HQ shows a significant number of Americans are worried about the fight coming to us. 77% are somewhat or very concerned the conflict will lead to an attack in the U.S. Bob, is the, the, the basis here, is it Hamas? Is it what we're witnessing in the Middle East? Is it Iran? Is it the southern border? Is it all of it put together? What it... I I I do think it's all of the above. And certainly we did not know that this was going to happen in Israel. Israel did not know. So I think that's I think it's a I think it's reasonable for Americans to fear what's next, especially if the tension, as expected, is going to spread. Look, border security is national security. When you have record numbers of people coming in unidentified, pouring into our country that they aren't even tracked. Nobody can keep nobody can keep track of them. We have 169 different countries worth of migrants that are coming through, and we have no idea what happens to them. So how, I mean, if I was a Hamas terrorist, I wouldn't try to come through a tunnel. Why build a tunnel? That's way too much work. I'm just going to walk in over the southern border and be welcomed by everyone on this side, give them some food, give them some housing, go to New York City. And a pathway to citizenship. We are tracking those individuals from the Middle East. In fact, we had a graph up, I think, last week that the U.S. government has tracked those individuals. Those coming through from the Middle East doesn't mean that terrorists or Hamas or Hezbollah, and we ought to be careful if we label them that simply because they're coming. Okay, so what do you make make of the numbers? If we label them that, those, huh? What do you make of that 77%? 77 percent to say or are concerned that the conflict uh, will lead to a terrorist yeah, attack. I, I think that's legitimate. I mean, I agree with Bob about that. I mean, listen, Israel is our strongest ally there. They've got a strong defense and we need them there in that Middle East at, at the same time. But when Hamas broke through in a surprise attack, Israel ought to be concerned about that. But more importantly, the U.S. ought to be concerned about that because we know that Iran uh, distributes these terrorist cells all around the world. That's part of their and, and agenda. Including to our southern border, back yeah, to what the news is saying. You said they're fair tracking. Enough. They're not tracking at all. There's 1.5 million, million, million gotaways under the Biden administration. We don't know who they are. They could be Hezbollah. They could be Hamas. They could be God well, knows they whomever. they could not be. And let me also say something else. When it comes to the, these folks, the part of the reason why the world's a tinderbox is because of Joe Biden's foreign policy of appeasement, and he's made the same appeasement with the cartels at the southern 
southern border, so we don't know what is endangering so he America. Had no but terrorist Biden attacks on Trump. He had nothing. The world was safer with Trump. It was. There were no wars. There were no terrorist acts. Correct. There were no uh, mass killings in the U.S. I mean, Trump just cured all of that, didn't he? <laughs> Wrong. It's just not true. That's a talking but, but point. The that's political. Is... That's not political reality. That's a political conversation. Right. The big difference. Well, there's a war now. And, yeah, and that's and we not didn't have we didn't have We'll have that's more of our exclusive fault. polling in a moment here. And the divide between this is really interesting. The divide between younger Americans and, say, their grandparents. We're going to get into that. But first, a look at the latest. Robert Sherman, News Nation national correspondent, is in Tel Aviv. Washington correspondent Kelly Meyer standing by at the White House. Robert, uh, let's begin with you today. The Israeli prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, rejected calls for a ceasefire, saying that it is, quote, Time for war. Leaving absolutely nothing to misinterpretation here, Blake. The words were no ceasefire. He's making that clear that that's not coming down the pipeline. It is time for war, emphasizing that he is sticking to his perspective here that the ground operation that's taking place in Gaza is the nation's best chance to both knock out Hamas and bring those hostages home. There was a development today which will certainly, uh, that the Israelis will certainly use to bolster that perspective. One hostage is coming home today. Private Ori Megadish was taken by Hamas on October 7th, had not been seen since. Well, amid the ground operation that was taking place in Gaza today, was located, was withdrawn from Gaza, and now after clearing medical, is back home with family. Unfortunately, we can't say that for all of the hostages today. We've unfortunately learned that 22-year-old Shani Lauk was confirmed dead. This is the German-Israeli citizen who's 22 years old who was at that festival in southern Israel. Her family making that confirmation today that her remains were found in Gaza. And this is something that is gripping the entire nation here, Blake. Everyone is talking about the hostage crisis, praying for their loved ones to come home. You see these demonstrations taking place in Jerusalem. This exhibit being unveiled today, over 200 empty beds and cribs to represent all of those who are not home here this evening, many praying to see their loved ones once again. Blake. All right, Robert Sherman, live for us in Israel once again. Uh, Robert, thank you. Now let's head on over to the White House. News Nation's Kelly Meyer been there throughout the day. Kelly, what was the White House saying today? Well, they're working here, Blake, uh, to prevent a wider war. They met with the Saudi defense minister this afternoon. The White House spokesperson, John Kirby, facing questions on the growing humanitarian crisis and concerns for civilian life. As you mentioned, Israel's prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, rejects growing calls for a ceasefire in Gaza, saying this is the time for war. The Biden administration in lockstep on that for the moment. Take a listen. We we do not believe that a a ceasefire... um is the right answer right now. Uh, we believe that a ceasefire right now benefits Hamas. Uh, and Hamas is the only one that would gain uh, from that right now as, as Israel continues to, to prosecute uh, their operations against Hamas leadership. What we have said should be considered and explored are temporary localized humanitarian pauses
And we were at the Pentagon earlier today, Blake, as officials there were pressed on if the U.S. was putting limits on how Israel uses weapons. A senior defense official saying they are not putting any constraints on that. And the ongoing message to Israel is to uphold the law of war. But beyond that, they say it's up to the IDF on the ground and they're leaving it to them. Blake. Kelly Meyer, live for us once again at the White House. Kelly, thank you. All right, back to the poll now and those numbers, because one of the most interesting dynamics that we're seeing in our exclusive polling is where sympathies lie among the younger generation. Consider this for a moment. 24% of 18 to 30-year-olds who were polled are sympathetic with the Palestinians, while 30% say they are sympathetic to the Israelis. Now, compare that to the older generations significantly more sympathetic to Israel. According to the poll, again, 18 to 34-year-olds, 30%. But look at when you get into the other uh, demographics. 35 to 55 years old, 43%. And 55 plus, 63%. What do you make of it, Ford? Simple. DEI. Shame on the schools and shame on social media. In the entire DEI world, basically, it's a DEI, diversity. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. The idea here is that you break everything into victors, victims, and oppressors. And for two decades, the Teachers Union of America has told students that Israel is an oppressor. And that is why we're, we are where we are. Look at it. You can see right Some might say, though, come on, you're blaming the teachers' no, I, unions I, I for this? Not, I am blaming what the curriculum. Data I absolutely am blaming the that. curriculum in our schools. Look at our college campuses. They are out of control. And why are they out of control? Because Israel is not seen as a left-wing cause because over and over, Democrats in particular, tell young people that Israel is an oppressor and the Palestinians, which are majority Hamas, are the victims. Pure conjecture. The reason those You've been polls, to a college the, campus the, lately? <laughs> pure conjecture. I don't know any empirical data that would support your statements, but let me say this. I think the polling shows a couple things. The younger generation haven't lived with uh, terrorism. They haven't lived with Hezbollah. They haven't lived with Syria. They haven't lived with the 9-11 uh, incident here in the U.S. You can even and go to, simply, to, to speaking to Holocaust survivors. Ex- ex- exactly. Or in their 70s, 80s, 90s. Exactly. Or well, the 90s. history of Israel in that region because they're younger people. And, and whether they didn't learn it in school, I thought that's where you were going. But more importantly, they haven't felt it and, and, and sensed it and understand how important Israel is. I'm a Democrat. I believe that Israel has a right to exist. I believe in the two-party state. But Israel also was surrounded by a number of enemies. That's a huge fact. And I don't think young people get it, nor have they lived through terrorism like many of us in the U.S. have. Denise? And it's our job to teach them. I mean, Scott, you and I are both in a generation that actually believe the same thing about Israel. And I think... Well, you're 55 and older. <laughs> I will never admit my age on TV. Hey, I just you're want to be clear. <laughs> um, we had such a good bipartisan thing going on, so right about that. Listen, I think that it's indisputable, Scott, that mm-hmm. what we're seeing on college campuses is a travesty. Right down the street at GW, they projected words that said, glory to the martyrs. The kids, mm-hmm. you know, the students, in these Jewish, like Cornell to shut down, it's, it's kosher dining room because of threats. Mm-hmm. And then you saw what happened at Cooper Union. We don't have to argue these things. These are true. I think one of the things with this poll, everything about polling is about wording. And when you talk about Palestinians, everyone is sympathetic to people who are innocent civilians. But the problem is the Palestinians elected Hamas to be their leaders. And so you're seeing But that a doesn't make them Hamas, though. No, nobody said that. That's what I'm okay. saying, is okay. I'm making your point for you, which mm-hmm. is that Palestinians are not identified as Hamas because they're not one and the same. However, the Palestinian people have supported a Hamas regime, and they chose them themselves, democratically elected, elected you know, right. in 2006. More, more data, which I want to ask you about. 
uh, when asked, do you approve of sending weapons and military supplies to Israel, which is what the Congress is going to be debating right now, right. standalone bill or, or tie it to Ukraine? Again, on age, 18 to 34-year-olds, basically half say sure. 35 to 55-year-olds, it's two-thirds. 55 and up, you can see it's 25 points higher, Bob, than the 18 to 34-year-old age. Yeah, I mean, if you're still reading a print newspaper, it's very different than my kids who are in that 18 to 34. And, you know, we, we look at polls all the time. All of them basically are partisan. This one is so interesting because it is the generational uh, divide. And I think going back to the ceasefire, listen, Joe Biden can't call for a ceasefire unless he's coordinating with Netanyahu. And I, I think it's going to be a while before Netanyahu agrees to a ceasefare. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. He, well, I think, the longer the, I think the longer this goes on, you're going to see a bigger chasm within the Democratic Party. Because remember, in election 2024, what do Democrats need to win the White House? 18 to 34-year-olds who overwhelmingly are Democrats. And Joe Biden is now walking a very narrow political The interesting program. thing, though, in the poll, though, it also shows 18 to 34 It wasn't a Democratic 30, poll, though. They didn't was, poll Democrats. That, yes, yes, yes. No, that, no, no. This is Democrats Decision Desk HQ. There. This is the best of the best. No, 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 that, no. That's, but that, that's all. They didn't poll Democrats. They polled everyone. Yeah, but no, but when you, when you look, at, when you look at the oh, breakdown, what I was going to say was... Yes. When you look at when you look at the breakdown, one of the interesting things is there is Democratic support in the 18 to 34 year olds. I think it's something like two thirds yes. uh, support yes. President Biden. Yes. Right. And to, to your point, and this is not like partisan, like right. if you're a Democrat, you need young people right, yeah. to, yeah. to win yeah. elections. Yeah. Right. And but it also goes to show where the president is ideologically and we're 18 to 34 year olds ideologically are two different things, which, again, is one of the fascinating things Very different. about yeah. the poll. All right. Mm-hmm. Still to come here. On the Hill on News Nation, the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, takes over the gavel. So, will he listen to New York Republicans who are trying to get one of their own, George Santos, expelled? I'll talk with the Congressman right after the break who was leading those efforts. And is Congress going to water down those airline miles that you get from your credit card rewards program? Really? The argument that the airlines are making, what they have to say about it when the Hill. On News Nation returns. Welcome back here to The Hill. The newly minted Speaker Mike Johnson today unveiled a $14 billion aid package just for Israel, leaving out money for Ukraine. A vote on this bill is expected at some point later in the week. Now, Johnson's plan goes against the wishes of the White House, but also against the Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell and the head of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Michael McCall, another Republican. News Nation's Joe Khalil spoke with McCall just moments ago. Watch. To me, it makes sense to put them all together. Uh, I know the Speaker is trying to make that decision right now. My view, and I think McConnell's view, is let's have one vote uh, for the next year you know, on this, and that gives certainty to Ukraine as well. Joining us now is the congressman, Republican congressman from the state of New York, Anthony D'Esposito. Congressman, thanks for being back here on the Hill once again. Appreciate your time as always. So um, let's start here because it, it appears that there is a divide between Mitch McConnell and Mike McCall on one side. And then this bill that was just uh, put forth in the Congress earlier this afternoon. So Who's got it right, Mike Johnson yeah. or uh, McCall and McConnell? Well, thanks for having me. And I, I think this is uh, moving forward. It's about compromise. If we learned anything the last three weeks, it's that we need to work together. Mm-hmm. And the way that I look at it is the quickest way we can get uh, aid to our greatest ally, Israel, 
uh, I think, is, is the way that we should do it. I know that the Speaker is looking at uh, putting forth a standalone bill and included in that uh, where he finds the funding is uh, from the IRS. Uh, I know that uh, Chairman McCall would like to have it uh, a joint effort with Ukraine and Israel. Uh, the way that I look at it, again, is, is the quickest way we can get it onto the floor and passed and headed over to the Senate uh, is the way that uh, I'm in support of. And if the eventual way is merging them two together, you'd, you're in support of that? Yeah, I mean, obviously we have to take a read and, and see where the uh, the money's coming from and how it's being spent. You know, my criticism okay. of uh, providing aid to uh, to Ukraine has been that we just need to make sure we know where the money's going. I think a checks and balances system uh, is needed. Uh, your district, Congressman, I, I don't need to tell you, but but for the audience at home, you are in a district in which there are more Democrats than Republicans. You are a Republican. I think it's Democrat plus five. Uh, Mike Johnson, it was uh, for a national abortion ban, uh, was for, for example, challenging the election of President Biden. Did he just make your reelection campaign more difficult? I mean, listen, the Democrats are going to use whatever they can, whether it was uh, Speaker Johnson, whether it was Speaker Jordan, whether it was Speaker McCarthy, Speaker Emmer, uh, whoever was going to become Speaker of the House, the Democrats were going to twist their words, twist their votes and utilize that uh, for their benefit. The way that I look at it is this. When you become Speaker of the House, you still remain having one vote on the floor of the House. I've made it very clear that I do not support a nationwide abortion ban. People have asked me recently, well, what about uh, the election? He's an election denier. Is Joe Biden the president? Well, the facts are that uh, we've seen record inflation. The administration is spending money uh, like we've never seen before. Our deficit's the greatest it's ever been. Uh, we're, you know, seen on a global scale as weak. And our southern border is wide open. To me, there's no question Joe Biden is the president of the United States. And, 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 I, okay, and I guess that's, that's part of the argument, too, that, that you'll make uh, next November. Um, your, border di your district borders out of George Santos. He is in a lot of trouble, as we know, and you are leading the charge to expel him from Congress. Uh, Congressman, as you sit there and count the votes, you need two thirds of the House uh, to, to back you in order for that to happen. Do you do you have that? I don't know. We'll see. You know, I'll be honest with you over the last uh, few days and during the weekend. Uh, the focus has really been, especially with myself and my colleagues from New York that are spearheading this, we were focused on the appropriation bills uh, and, and obviously the Israel funding because we wanted to see where the, the calendar was going to lie for next week. Now we're hearing that the, the bill may come to the floor as quick as Wednesday night or Thursday morning. Uh, obviously, a two-thirds vote is needed, which is a tough number to reach. And, you know, I've heard from many of my colleagues, some who are in Has support and others who say there is a precedent. Uh, people are, are, are should uh, have due process. And I, I understand you, that there's a precedent. But if we have the opportunity in Washington, D.C. to set... Uh, I think that there is an opportunity for it to pass, because I think okay. that we have an opportunity to set a new precedent. And, and has the speaker given you any reassurances that he will not kill this? Because he gave an interview the, the uh, to the Hills, Michael Schnell, earlier today in which he didn't take that possibility off the table. Well, we, we spoke uh, right before I, I presented the, the bill and, and asked for um, uh, on the House floor, and uh, he made it very clear. He said, do what you think is right and do what you think is right for New York. And like I said, this is about not about precedent. It's about setting a new precedent. If we could set a new precedent, especially from individuals in the House who, are, who have tried to fight the status quo, uh, we can set a new precedent that uh, the House does not welcome uh, liars, fraudsters, and people who have made a mockery of the institution. 
Congressman Anthony D'Esposito, appreciate the time as always, sir. Hope you come on back. We'll catch you next time. Thank you. Have a good night. All right. You too. Appreciate it. Uh, Bob? Listen, I I don't think Republicans like that congressman, they're going to lose their job because of Speaker Johnson. It may be because they didn't have a speaker for three for three uh, weeks. Um, Listen, I I think Johnson knows he's been having to walk the delicate line of the moderates and dealing with Biden. I think what he's doing on Israel is a good political move. It's going to put Democrats in a tough spot. This is all about leverage. At the end of the day, they're probably going to have to have some type of bipartisan agreement on Ukraine and Israel. But maybe this is a ploy. Uh, to get that Ukraine number lower than it is now. And the because, 60-something billion. Right, because that's a lot of money, and, a lo- and I don't think they're going to get that much. But the White House, as far as maybe, I mean, they could punt this from, from Thanksgiving to, to Christmas. But in the big deal, the White House is going to have to get something on Ukraine, period. That congressman <coughs> is in a D-plus-5 yeah. district. I, I think you understand why there with some of those answers, right? Yeah, I mean, I understand that. I ran in a kind of, I think it was about a third, a third, a third, and then it became D-plus-2. I mean... It is, everyone has to do what's in the best interest of their constituents. That's really what it's all about. All politics is local. And if you ask moderates, none of them seem to be concerned about what the new speaker is doing. So, I mean, if they're the ones that are the gauge of whether or not he's going to be a problem. Not concerned now. But then you've got to put legislation and and start legislating and and running the... I think he's smart enough to put the right things in the right order. His first action as speaker was to pass a pro-Israel resolution. And that was brilliant. And so he's setting it all up to make it easier for even his conference. Yeah, but what, what happens when that bill, standalone, passes the House, goes to the Senate, the Senate Democrat run, uh, um, they put, they add in Ukraine, it goes to conference, and are you arguing that that's where the compromise is going to be? Ultimately, it's going to be one bill, but the money might be lower, because ultimately, they can't hold up funding for Israel, and they really can't hold up No, it's the Democrats are going to hold up funding for Israel. Republicans would do it tomorrow, except for Thomas Massey. And what you are demonstrating here is what everybody in the media and Democrats have done. This is Johnson derangement syndrome. You guys have just replaced Trump. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Mike McCall and Mitch McConnell both want this tie. So it's not Democrats. The Republicans, with, in terms of leverage, and now that the people's house is open, it is time to govern, and Democrats actually want to slime Mike Johnson. That's why, remember, Johnson derangement syndrome. We're going to be at this for a but while. But then does, does Mitch McConnell have Johnson derangement syndrome? No, Mitch McConnell has establishment syndrome, okay? Oh, he's and got another, a new he got place to do syndrome. business, and Mitch McConnell <laughs> needs to understand, let the house, where we have the majority, uh-huh. throw the first punch in terms of what we're going to have in an offer, and then Mitch McConnell can then sit back because Mitch McConnell hasn't done anything but side with Chuck Schumer when it comes to foreign aid. And let me tell you something, Republicans are unhappy about that. Okay, so okay. take the syndrome out. Is, are we going to get one bill or two bills approved by both the House and Senate, probably, in your opinion? Uh, probably one. Yeah, probably one. The way it's going. Yep. All right, coming up. More exclusive polling from our Decision Desk HQ, where the majority of this country now says our nation is heading. We'll break down those numbers. And how did we go from say no to drugs to say yes to Narcan. The ask from Washington that is now being made of our children's schools all across this country. That's when The Hill on News Nation returns. Not long ago in Oakland, California, I was asked by a group of children what to do if they were offered drugs. And I answered, just say no. Say yes to your life. And when it comes to drugs and alcohol, just say no. That, of course, was the former First Lady Nancy Reagan in a joint address to the nation with her husband, President Ronald Reagan, in 1986. They were promoting their drug abuse campaign, which became known as, as you heard there, Just Say No. 
Now fast forward the clock. Today, the U.S. remains in the grip of an opioid epidemic, and the White House sent a letter to schools today, pushing them to stock up on the opioid overdose reversal drug known as naloxone. It's the ingredient in Narcan. Here's what the letter reads, in part, quote, In the midst of this fentanyl overdose epidemic, it is important to focus on measures to prevent youth drug use and ensure that every school has naloxone and has prepared its students and faculty to use it. We have gone from just say no in the late 80s and early 90s to say yes to Narcan. How? (laughs) It's been a long time. I mean, I was 16 when when Nancy Reagan was doing that, and it was a powerful message. I mean, it was something that was... Just everywhere. And, and everybody kind of got on board. Not everybody, but, well, not on the, the booze part, maybe on the drugs part. But, um, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I think it's dramatic. However, I do agree with this decision. I think it's a smart decision yeah. because it saves lives. And that's the bottom line. Yeah, no, I mean, you look at schools, they, they stock EpiPens. They stock yeah. Tylenol. They right. stock all sorts of things, right, for obvious reasons. And, and now we're here to where the Department of Education, I mean, this hit my inbox when I woke up this morning. And I saw it, and I was like, that's where we are right now? Well, just say no uh, was a powerful message. It didn't work, quite frankly, because we were criminalizing uh, drugs when she said just say no. Uh, But this is reality, as you said. It saves lives. And I think the message is still say no. But the reality is so many of our young people are overdosing on these opioids. The reality is you got to save them. And they're in school and they're having convulsions and they're they're passing out and they're going, um, they're overdosing. And you can't just sit there and let them do that. And so this is is the short term uh, effect of it. And you got to save lives. I I agree. You need it in the schools because you want to save lives. This is the Mm -hmm. next generation. At the same time, the why do we have this? Where does 90% of our fentanyl come from? The Chinese Communist Party, pack mule through Mexico and Latin America by the drug cartels. This is a byproduct, whether you want to admit it or not, of Biden's open border policies. We've had opioid problems. Those the way drugs were coming overdrug- before Biden. They, they, they continue there you go again. Stop blaming so Biden. If you, if you, if you look at Trump, too. If you look at opioid-related deaths, they've, they've doubled since 2020, 2021. Yeah. So like that. I mean, it's, it's over 100,000. So yes, it was a, a problem a few years ago. And yes, it's also gotten significantly worse now. It has. And as the only one amongst all of you who was probably a D.A.R.E. representative. I remember D.A.R.E. Thank I was you. in like fourth or <laughs> yeah, fifth grade. I remember. And, yeah, we, yeah. When, we was, when we were in high school, we would go in and talk to kids. And, mm-hmm. talk, you know, it was like a peer-to-peer thing mm-hmm. where we said, you guys, drugs are not going to help your life. And I think that sort of moral clarity, regardless of whether it works or not. I mean, we tell our kids to do things mm-hmm. all the time that we know they shouldn't do. Does it always work? No. But I think when you have moral clarity on what is good and right and helpful to those children and their growth, you have to stick to that line of messaging and not say, hey, but, well, we're going to do this anyway because it's kind of a yes and no answer. By right? the way, just to, show you, confusing. just to show you where, where they are, in this letter, there was a reminder to like students and schools and administrators that you don't have liability if you have to jump in and yep. use Narcan. Like, it's, it's worth the read. Um, the White House has put it out there. If you're involved in a school, you probably want to check it out because like, you go through it. And it's state law and federal law. Yeah. All right. Now back to our exclusive poll. Uh, joining us is Scott Schraner, Decision Desk HQ Data Science Director, here to help break it down. Scott, hello, hello. Happy Monday. Uh, let's start here. Is the country on the right or wrong track? Um, you've been listening to what we've been talking about, and I think this probably feeds into part of, of this, um, this graphic. Only a quarter of the country says right now we are on the right track. 
Yeah, and look at that 63% number. I mean, independents and Democrats are both above 50% on that. And when you tie that in with the Biden approval rating under 50%, you know, we're a little over a year from 2024, but those are worrying numbers if you're the incumbent president. Can you can you win? I don't know, but Scott, Scott, Bob, can you win a re-election with right track at, at a quarter? Listen, I'd, I'd be interested in Scott's take. I don't think so. I think these numbers have to improve for Biden to win a second term. I think they're devastating. And Bidenomics in a year, is that going to be a good campaign slogan or is that going to be a punch? No one knows because you, you, pre- pre- you can't predict, you can't predict that. Yeah. Scott, actually, yeah, go for Scott, it. Um, that's actually a better number than I have seen as of late. Like all the numbers that I've been seeing consistently were that they were in the 80s or somewhere just much higher in terms of right, you know, wrong direction. And so do you feel like this is actually an improvement for Biden? Directionally, it's an improvement. The fact that it's over 50 (laughs) is worrisome. I will point out to to Bob's question. Bob asked a good question. If you remember in 2016, that was the first time we had both a Republican and Democratic candidate that was underwater in approval rating, and obviously one of them won. Um, 2020 wasn't necessarily as good either, but there's always a first time for everything. I, I tend to agree with Bob. Look, these numbers need to get better, both in the approval and the right track, wrong track. But this is a unique political cycle, and we might see someone be able to pull it off with these numbers. All right, so w- with that right track or on track, um, how about this, Scott? Because you would think, well, you know, you got the president of the United States, a Democrat. Look at those numbers. Republicans have to be absolutely crushing it in Congress, right? We got to be fiending for Republicans. <laughs> Which candidate would you vote for in Congress? 43% say Democrats, 45% say Republicans. Coin flip. Yeah, the one interesting thing about this is generally in a in a presidential year like we're we're heading into, Democrats tend to do a little bit better in the generic ballot and so it's interesting to see the Republicans up, but you know, I mean the big takeaway is from this especially when you compare it to uh, just general congressional approval rating, no one likes Congress. Um, and it, they're, they're basically fighting for the bottom, and this is this is where it goes back and forth. I don't think this three-week speaker fight helped the Republicans. Um, I don't, you know, necessarily think it's going to cost any specific Republican their seat, but it just reinforces people's opinions that Congress isn't necessarily getting anything done. Um, and we can see that in the congressional generic ballot. We'll see that, you know, pop back and forth, but neither it, party is going to get above 50 percent is my prediction. To, to Scott's point, though, in 2016, when it came to the congressional ballot, Republicans on Election Day 2016 were only up one point. Right now, too, if that holds, honestly, as if that holds, then Republicans will win the White House, maintain the House, and take control of the Senate. This is actually a great number for Republicans in presidential years. We usually poll very poorly on this number, and usually we're trailing Democrats even when we've actually won within the Electoral College. This should terrify Democrats, because after what my party just went through for three weeks on full display for everybody to watch— the fact that Republicans are still even even running, even much less two points ahead, Democrats really need to think about we're, the messaging. Hey, listen, your party's in trouble. We're, I, I don't think so. <laughs> they, they, they are, I don't. And, and I'll tell you why. Uh, elections, we're, we're a year away, one. Two, people aren't feeling those those table those kitchen table issues. Really? That's really why those those stats are so bad because you can have Bidenomics and the stats, but people aren't feeling it. Bidenomics is pricing on, millions of Americans out of the American dream. Finish. I can run on that. I just want to, well, you can run on it, but you you you'd lose to Biden. And the other point, that. the really important point here is that. Um, 
you've got the Trump factor on the other side. I'm glad you brought that up. If Trump is so problematic for the Republicans, he may get the nomination, but he's got criminal justice issues, he's got his liberties at stake, and independents are never going to vote for him in big numbers. The Democrats may not be happy with Biden, but where do they go? The independents may not be happy with Biden, but where do they go? And that's an open question heading into All right, so let's let's talk about Donald Trump, Scott, because Des Moines Register poll, um, DDHQ. Top of the list. Des Moines Register, as you know, in that state uh, is, is the gold standard as well. Donald Trump uh, at 43 percent. And, and I wonder what you make of it, Scott, because, you know, that number stayed the same. But Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley in there at, at basically 16 percent each. When you look at that number, what do you see when you look at that poll? Rather, what do you see? I see a commanding lead for, you know, President Donald Trump. We're still a ways away from Iowa, basically a, a lifetime of news cycles. Um, but I think the fight is for second and third place, uh, which is interesting because you also pair it with the fact that, you know, Senator Tim Scott said today that Iowa is going to be his make or break. So he's basically setting up for, and I don't know what make or break means for him. I don't know that he's going to win. Maybe it means, you know, come in second, but he's basically setting himself up to, if he doesn't do very well or beat expectations, Iowa, he's out. That makes it interesting for, you know, Governor DeSantis and Nikki Haley. We're looking at a race consolidating, but it's consolidating around second or third place. And we'll see what happens after Iowa. But, you know, the, the takeaway from this commanding lead for President Trump going into Iowa. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Scott, I, I just had a, a question on if to flip it, because we're talking about expectations for DeSantis. We're talking about expectations for Scott mm-hmm. and Haley. But what about the expectations in Iowa for uh, Donald Trump? Uh, right now, he's, you know, he's up 25, whatever the, the math is. But what if he wins Iowa by 11 or 10 and, and Haley is is right on him? I mean, that then, of course, the media loves a race. I mean, does that change the dynamic? It absolutely does. Expectations is what it is. I don't know if anyone remembers, but in 2016, Donald Trump didn't win Iowa. Marco Rubio came in third. And if you read the news, you would think Marco Rubio won Iowa, even though he came in third. And so to your point, if Nikki Haley gets it into a single digit, you know, we're talking right. seven, eight points. I don't know what your headline's going to say at the Hill, but I imagine it's going to be something that along the lines of Nikki Haley surging, something like right. that. And so that's what makes it interesting, right? Like, you know, can she get within 10? What happens to, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy if he drops out? I don't think Ron DeSantis is dropping out, but his campaign has some money right. issues. You know, there's still a lot of news cycles to have. And so that's why I'd say today, commanding lead for President Trump, but we've got a lot of campaigning to go. Scott Traner, thank you, sir. Decision Desk HQ, fantastic polling. We'll catch you soon. Thank you. Yep, of course. All right, coming up, it is one of the key features of your credit card. You spend, you get points in return. But is Congress about to water down your rewards program? And have you heard the case that the airlines are making right now? That's next when The Hill on News Nation returns. Welcome back. So is Congress coming for your credit card reward points? Now, according to the CEOs of United and Delta Airlines, a bill proposed by Senator Dick Durbin aimed at saving consumers money on credit card fees, the interchange fees, could have unintended consequences, they say, of killing rewards programs. Here is the CEO of United on their earnings call last week when asked about this bill. It could be really, really bad policy for consumers in this country. This bill would kill rewards program. It would not exist uh, anymore. And I think it's, it's bad policy. Um, and I also think it kind of misses the mark. Bob, <laughs> like this is what you do if you're the CEO. Like, oh, you want to come after my little fee? 
Bye-bye rewards points. Smart. I think a smart move. Now, I have seen a lot of lobbying battles in my time. <laughs> the lobbying battle on interchange fees yeah. is the most intense I've ever seen. Really? No, really. It is. Um, when you're talking about the banks, the credit cards, Senator Dick Durbin has been fighting this war. I can't see it moving because it's... It's talked about move for years. So and it's always stalled. So when you swipe the credit card at wherever you go, there's a fee right. that that gets imposed on the vendor it, it's, and the merchant. And the merchant. And the it's card. basically give or take three percent. You say this is the the biggest battle ever. I have seen uh, yet yeah, the nastiest. I mean, it's not like it doesn't get a lot of headlines, but it is the nastiest battle. Huh. Members who have been around a long time, they know this issue, and they're actually tired of hearing it because both sides are so fervent. But I think the strategy of saying, well, you want this? Fine. No rewards program. Everyone loves (laughs) rewards programs. Even though there's no connection between the rewards program, the rewards program, and these fees? So if your interchange fee gets gets taken down, you say our revenue drops and we got to do something. If the revenue drops, bye-bye Scott's, you know, Uh, trip to Greece or wherever you're going, right? Like, mainstream I want to see those interchange fees go down. But I will say mm-hmm. this. If, if, if the CEO, the airline CEO, says it's going to threaten the rewards program, remember that little Biden disapproval at 62%? That's going to move to 70 <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, middle America will be mad when they can't fly <laughs> in comfort and sit by the way, lines. This is why President Biden's going after junk fees, yes. right? This yeah, isn't yeah, this yeah. issue, uh, but yeah. it's it's... You hammer the president, but I think you would say it is smart politically to do it. Mm-hmm. It is smart mm-hmm. politically to do it, but remember, it's the unintended consequences. They did this in the EU, and guess what wound up happening? Mm-hmm. You know, they had a lot they of problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had a lot of problems mm-hmm. on this front. So be very yeah. careful what you wish for. I just have a feeling Senator Durbin's from Illinois, where Chicago United is hugged. United is. Yeah. And I think <laughs> he's going to end up in the back seat in like row 39 <laughs> next to the toilet from now on. <laughs> Think about these things, Can Senator Can we put Durbin. up Dick Durbin's statement real quick? Uh, because here is in part uh, what the senator is saying defending this. Do we have it? If we do, there we go. He says, it's rich that the airline industry, which generates billions of dollars each year from co-branded credit cards, is pretending to have hardworking Americans' interest at heart. The airlines have negotiated sweetheart deals with the biggest Wall Street banks at the expense of consumers and local businesses. So that is in part Go Southwest. Don't be, don't be surprised <laughs> oh, when there's an airline west. strike at O'Hare by United. By the way, by the, Christmas time. these Fly credit southwest. cards for the airlines are massive. I think they're worth like 20-something billion dollars I was yeah, looking it's at. It's a huge racket. It's, it's, yeah, well, it, it racket, is a, it is a huge it, but, racket because there's only basically Visa and MasterCard are letting the door. That's the whole point. Allow competition. But, of course, the airline CEOs... Like the chum that they're getting That's from why the some say cards. airlines or banks. It's Just fascinating, though, to hear you say that yeah. of all the lobbying mm-hmm. efforts. Interesting. All right. Looking ahead to next hour, News Nation correspondent Elizabeth Pran will be guest hosting Elizabeth Vargas Reports. Tonight, she'll speak with the Deputy Chief of Mission for Israel's Embassy in Washington, D.C. They'll, of course, talk about the expansion of the ground invasion uh, by Israel in Gaza. Six o'clock Eastern, right here on News Nation, six minutes from now. But coming up before then, no trick or treat. No, no, no. A school district in New Jersey canceling Halloween. Why? We'll explain. All right, so before we say goodbye, here is a story that caught our eye. Uh, This, uh, are we going to President Biden? No. This is in New Jersey. Uh, This is the New Jersey South Orange and Maplewood School Districts. They have decided not to have Halloween celebrations. For context, uh, they have 7,200 students there in the South Orange and Maplewood schools. Mm -hmm. The district superintendent of those schools says his decision was an effort to promote diversity, 
equity, and inclusion meaningfully. The governor, Phil Murphy, criticized the decision, posting, seriously, can't we let kids celebrate Halloween?